Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you're here this morning. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you with us as well. I'm going to do something this morning that I have not done since we've been doing the whole online thing. I want to give a shout out to somebody who's joining us online. That's my 98-year-old mother-in-law. Happy birthday, Mama Dot. Uh I made a decision when my mother-in-law, when anybody really that I, this, I'm related to turns 98, I'm going to wish them a happy birthday publicly. So when your mother-in-law turns 98, you're welcome to come up here and wish them a happy birthday publicly. So, glad that you are here with us today. Glad the rest of you are joining us online as well. Next Sunday, ne- next Sunday uh, is Bay Area's week at Central Florida Bible Camp. Next Sunday is church camp, and we got several teenagers going. We got some adults that are going to camp. Martha and I spent a lot of time at Central Florida Bible Camp. Tom and I uh, directed our week for a long time. Tom longer than I did. Uh, Mike Manley once told me that if he added up all the days that he was at Bible Camp, it would make up a year of his life. Uh, you know, if you if your kids aren't involved in camp, you ought to rethink that. It's really a good week. It's a great experience. But I will tell you this. As great as camp is, it's pretty predictable. No matter where you've ever gone, especially to church camp, it's pretty predictable. Campers come and campers go, but church camp is is pretty predictable. The food is predictable. Amen. Yeah, not good, but predictable. The seventh grade boys aren't going to take a shower all week. They're not going to change their clothes all week, unless my, at least mine didn't. The 11th grade girls are going to change their clothes like five times during the day, take six showers during the day. There'll be a bunch of kids come on Monday evening, they're going to be homesick. Those same kids on Saturday morning won't want to go home. We're all going to be, you know, everybody's going to be kind of operating on about three hours of sleep per night. But at the end of the week, everyone's going to say, this was the best week ever. So it's like the greatest week ever. It's predictable. But maybe the most predictable part about church camp is Friday night. A Friday night campfire. Every Friday night at camp, someone's going to stand up at the campfire and they're going to say, well, camp is over. This is our last campfire. What are you going to do when you go home? That's the question at every Friday night campfire. What are you going to do? when you go home. And, and I'm not belittling that. I'm not making fun of that. It's the good question. It's the right question. What are you going to do when you go home? You have been talking about God all week. We have been going and you know, been attending classes all week. We've been worshiping God all week. But camp's over. What are you going to do when you go home? And one by one, campers will start standing up. And, you know, of course, the girls will all be crying. Most of the boys will be crying as well. But, you know, they'll say there's smoke in their eyes or something. It's late, tired, everybody's emotional. And everybody will start talking about what they're going to do different when they get home. All the things that are going to change when they get home. They're going to break up with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. They're going to treat their parents better. They're going to get rid of everything. They're going to, you know, get rid of my cigarettes and my bad language and, you know, all that stuff. I'm going to treat my siblings nicer. Things are going to be different. When we go home. Now, 
Last week, we started a sermon series through the book of Judges. And if you remember last week, I actually started at the very end of the book of Judges. The last sentence in the last chapter of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king and everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. This morning, we're going all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to start, I guess, where we're supposed to start. The beginning of the book of Judges. And I want you to know, the beginning of Judges... It starts like camp ends. It's like Judges starts on a Friday night at camp. Because Joshua, who has led the people into the promised land, remember Moses got them there, but Joshua led them into the promised land. Joshua's kind of been the go-to guy while he's alive, but he's about to die. And he knows he's about to die. So he gathers everybody together. He calls everyone to him. And he has this speech. And he, he gives them a, a talk because he knows he's not going to be around much longer. And the speech that he gives them is a lot like the Friday night campfire talk. It's a pretty long speech that he gives. Um, some of it's very famous, but here, here's part of what he says. It's in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. He tells the people, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord, which is kind of code for break up with your girlfriend. Get rid of your cigarettes. All those things that are separating you from walking like God wants you to walk, you know, get rid of those things. He gives this long speech to the people. And the people respond this way. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Exclamation point. Joshua, don't worry about us. We are not going to forsake God. God is who we are going to serve. It was the Lord, verse 17, it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt. We remember what it was like in Egypt. We remember those stories. We remember what it was like serving Pharaoh from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. That's what the people tell Joshua. We, too, will serve the Lord. Don't worry about us, Joshua. We will serve the Lord. He's our God. And if you read the text, Joshua actually says, I bet you don't. You think you've learned your lesson. I'm not sure you've learned your lesson. You think this is going to be really easy. It's going to be harder than you think. I'm not sure you're going to do what you say you're going to do. But the people tell Joshua, we choose the Lord. You've heard yourself say it, Joshua said. You have chosen to obey the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses. And Joshua dies. And God's people are there in the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey, and they have stated in no uncertain terms, we are going to serve the Lord. We choose God. And the flowers really aren't even wilted on Joshua's tombstone before we read this in the book of Judges. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They came home from camp. (laughs) And they go right back to doing the very thing 
they said they would never do. Text goes on. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods of the peoples around them. They look around at all the people around them, the cultures around them, and they say, that looks pretty good. I think I would like to try a little bit of that. I don't want to be different. I don't feel like I'm missing out on something. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be odd. And before you know it, they had abandoned their king. They abandoned the law that God had given them. They, they immersed themselves, not just in the culture of the people around them, but they actually start following the gods of the Canaanites right after Joshua warned them not to do that, right after they swore they would never go back and do that. Text goes on. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths, which is like number one on God's list, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's exactly what they do. They put other gods before Jehovah God. Verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to the raiders, to raiders who plundered them. Then it gets pretty harsh here. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And then almost parenthetically, the writer tells us, they were in great distress. Yeah, they were in great distress. Okay, you like the king of the Canaanites? You like the culture of the Canaanites? I'm going to hand you over to that culture. I'm going to hand you over to that king. I'm going to allow you to be controlled by the people that you're trying to copy. I mean, didn't they remember what things were like in Egypt? I mean, they weren't in Egypt, but, you know, their parents and grandparents were. Don't they remember the stories about the oppression that they had in slavery under Pharaoh? Don't they remember the stories about how great it was to finally reach the promised land where they could worship the one true God? And now they have turned their back on that one true God. They're choosing pagan gods. They embrace the culture of the pagans. And God says, okay, if that's your decision, let's see how it works for you. And the next thing we find out is they are being conquered by the very people that they're trying to copy. They turned their back on God. They thought things were going to be so much better. They thought they were gaining some kind of freedom. But they weren't gaining freedom. They were surrendering their freedom. So here's like the main point of today's lesson. It's kind of like my main thought. It's something that kind of slips up on us. You know, it's something that we don't really see coming until it's too late. It's what pushes us into that thing we talked about last week, that cycle of, well, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it with. You know, we, kind of, we kind of buy into that, I'm going to do my thing, and then we go down that road a little bit and we say, uh-oh. This isn't turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. I don't like where doing my own thing has kind of left me, but now I don't know exactly how to get back. I don't know how to get out of this uh, situation that I've got myself in. Here's my one point. 
Israel just trades one king for another. When they turn their back on God, when they turn their back on their creator king, capital K, all they do is just trade that creator king for substitute king, lowercase k. Now, you don't need me to point out the application to you this morning, but I'm a preacher, and that's what we do. (laughs) We point out the obvious, right? That's what we do. We're all writing our own story. I use that, that, that language a lot. You know, we're all writing our own story. You're writing your story. I'm writing my life story. On some level, all of our stories have a little bit of Israel's story in ours. On some level, we all look around at the culture around us. And then we say, hmm, I'd like a little bit of that. I want some of this. I don't want to feel like I'm missing out on something. I don't want to feel like I'm being singled out. I don't want to feel like I'm standing out. I don't want to feel like I'm the odd guy out. I want a little bit of that in my life. I'd like to try that king on, at least for size. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it with, and I don't need a king. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. I don't need God telling me what to do. And then one day we wake up and it's like, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. This isn't better. This is worse. My life isn't better. My life is worse. My marriage isn't better. My family's not better. My relationship with my kids or my parents is not better. It's worse. I I I thought I was gaining some freedom here. All I've done is given up my freedom. All I've done is traded one king for another. See, here's the thing about us, and you might not always think about yourself this way, and and, and maybe you don't want to think about yourself this way, but here's the thing about us. We're the created ones, okay? We're not the creators. We are created. And the truth about us is we were created. Here's what you might push back on just a little bit. We were created to be ruled, we were created to be ruled by something or, or someone. Which means whenever we say no to one king, we're just saying yes to some other king. Now you might not think of things like that, but that's just the reality. Whenever we say no to one king, we're just saying yes to some other king. Whenever we say no to our creator king, capital K, we're just saying yes to some substitute king. Lowercase k. We think of that, no, no, I'm my own boss. I don't have a king in my life. I'm large and in charge. I'm the big dog with the hot sauce. I'm the master of my faith. I'm the captain of my soul. No, you're not. You're really not. In fact, it's not possible for you to be. You were created to be ruled. And when you... When you turn away from one king, all you're doing is substituting some different king in your life. Now, intellectually, we know this is true. Intellectually, we understand, okay, when I turn away from, like, creator king, well, I don't have an idol in my house. You know, I don't don't have any of that. But but then we realize, okay, I've kind of substituted that for my own selfish desires, 
I want what I want when I want it. And so we choose that over God. God, I'm, I'm tired of fighting this temptation. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm tired of feeling left out. I don't like feeling like I'm missing out on something. And again, we go down that path a, a while, you know, a few months, a few years, and it's like, oh no. What do I do? You're ruled by your selfish desires. And it dawns on you, I just traded one king for another. Fear, insecurity, greed, lust, pride, family. We were made to be ruled. So, if we were created to be ruled by something or someone, if we can agree on that, then if we can also agree, and I think we can, that there is a God, and there's a God who actually loves us and knows what's best for us, knows what it's going to take for our lives to be meaningful and peaceful and joyful and all the things we dream about, if there really is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, and we get to choose which king we follow, why wouldn't we follow that king? Intellectually, right? We understand this. Why would I follow any other king than my creator king, than God, than Jehovah? Why is it always so much easier to say no to God than it is to say no to all those substitute beings that we put in this place? And it always is. Why is it always for us so much easier to tell God no than to tell all of those substitute kings no? God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey that. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to love her. I'm not going to serve them. I'm not going to fight that temptation anymore. Why is it so much easier to say no to God than it is to all those other substitute gods? All those other substitute kings. And and I'll tell you why it is, by the way. You will receive absolutely no mercy from those substitute kings. Those substitute kings, they don't love you. They want to control you. Those substitute kings, they offer no freedom. If you want freedom, if that's your goal, real freedom, true freedom, lasting freedom, that is only found under a merciful king. A merciful God. Let me wrap this thing up. We'll go back to the book of Judges. Um, We're actually going to be introduced to the first judge. We're not going to talk about him. (laughs) We're going to be introduced to him. Judges chapter 3. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishthim, king of Aram Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. And again, God says, okay, you like the Canaanites? You like these other cultures? I'm going to allow you to be ruled by these other cultures. And they are for eight long years. Eight long years, the, the, the culture that they chose to adopt, the God that they chose to serve, God little g, the king Lowercase k, 
that they chose to follow oppressed them, enslaved them, put them down, controlled, defeated, until finally after eight years, God's people did what some of you have done. And they did what some of you need to do. But when they, God's people, when they cried out to the Lord. And my question is, why did it take eight years? <laughs> why would you suffer for eight years before you cry out to the Lord? And my question is, why do I suffer for eight years? Eight months, eight days. Why do I suffer eight minutes without crying out to the Lord? And you know the answer, and I do too. Because I'm so arrogant that I think I'll figure it out. And I'm so prideful that I think I can get myself out of this. I got myself into it, I'll get myself out of it. And somehow God becomes a last resort, not a first uh, decision. And so the God's people, for eight years, they suffer. Then they finally cry out to God. Let me give you the whole passage here in chapter 3. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishthim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. They cried out to the Lord, God, would you deliver us? And God said, yes, I will, because you are still my people. Yes, I will deliver you. And one of, the, one of the unbelievable things about the Christian faith, and we see it all through Scripture, and we will see it all through the book of Judges, is every time God's people cry out to him, every time in repentance God's people cry out to him, God, would you deliver us? God's answer is always the same. Yes. You're my people. We serve a God of mercy. But in that mercy, and I think because of that mercy, God gives us the freedom of choice. He's not going to force himself on anyone. In his mercy, God has given all of us the dignity of choice. We get to choose who we serve. We get to choose who we love. We get to choose who we worship. Because God gives us freedom. Total freedom is only found in a merciful God. God doesn't want to control you. God's not going to control you. If God wanted to control you, you would have been created controlled. That's just who you'd be. You would be a controlled person. But God loves you. He wants you to love Him back. And the only way to have a real relationship with someone is for them to have the freedom to choose to have that relationship. A love relationship. Where God says, you go where you want to go. I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Now, I'm going to give you the alternative consequences. You get to choose. But I'm giving you the freedom. You get to choose whether you want to love me or not. I'm going to love you regardless. But there's going to be some consequences 
to our choices. And just as he took Israel back over and over and over and over and over again, he takes us back over and over and over and over again. And we celebrate that, right? I mean, when someone has turned from God and, and someone repents and they say, listen, God, I want you back in my life, we celebrate that. We're told to celebrate that. What a great thing when someone turns back to the Lord, when someone repents of their sins and says, I want to serve God. Praise God. That's wonderful. But listen, here's what breaks my heart. And I know I'm going to sound like an old man when I say this, but I kind of am an old man. So I feel like I have, you know, the right to say it. And this really does break my heart. You can't get your 20s back. You just can't. And you can't get your 30s back. And you can't go back and reparent your children as much as we would like to. And you can't go back and have a first marriage again. You know, those years, those experiences, once they're gone, they're gone. And so much of that time, we waste serving those little kings, serving those substitute kings. And yes, God welcomes us back, but we can't get those years back. We can't get those experiences back. All those times we were serving those little kings who cared nothing about us or our future or our family. So here's the bottom line. You know, in our attempt to do what we want to do when we want to do it with whoever we want to do it with, listen, don't be fooled. All you're doing is trading one king for another. Whenever you choose, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it with, and I don't care what God wants. Anytime that's your choice, anytime you put God in the rearview mirror and you think, I am choosing independence, you are not choosing independence. All you are choosing is one king over another. All you're choosing is a little king, a little substitute king over our creator king who made us, who knows us, who loves us, who wants the very best for us and allows us to choose. So this morning, the question you need to ask yourself, and you need to be serious about this, you need to ask yourself, what king am I serving? Because you are serving a king. What king am I serving? I appreciate Travis leading that song, Lord reign in me. Is Lord Jehovah, capital K, king, does he reign supreme in your life? Is that who you're serving? Because you're serving a king today. Which king are you serving? As a church family, if we can help you in some way, we would love to do that, pray with you, pray for you. You can meet us here at the front of the auditorium and, and we'll talk about that. Let's go ahead and be standing and we're going to have a song of encouragement.